Well, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. We're continuing our study of the sayings of Peter. We're looking at what we're calling selected events in the life of Peter, looking at what he said, looking at the context, seeing how it fits together. We're now coming, really coming to the end of the study, even though we've got three, four more, or five more lessons. Uh, we're seeing that. We're thinking about Peter, used by God on the day of Pentecost to announce the great truths of Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to see in this passage. Acts chapter 2 is Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. And so we say, wow, Peter, the man who failed, the man but now he's being used by God to give the very first message of the church. Think about this. He denied Christ three times. He got back in the fellowship with God, and, with, with, and, and everything's good. And so Jesus is going to use him because Jesus already said, feed my sheep. And the question and the thing that I think about when I see something like this is God wants to and will use us even when we fail. Because every one of us in this room fail, and if you fail, uh, we say, how can God use me when I'm a sinner, when I'm so bad, when I keep messing up, when I keep failing? And then you look at Peter and we say, that's pretty bad what he did, deny that he even knew Jesus and he'd been with him for three and a half years. And yet, Jesus says, do you love me? Take care of my sheep. And then on this day, he uses him in a way that is amazing. And so this morning, we want to think about that God's going to use us. Don't ever think that it's over. As long as God has you alive on this earth, he will use you for his glory. All you have to say is, God, use me for your glory. Just take my life and use me. Well, let's think about the story of the Bible. The perfect God brings sinful man back to himself using his son, Jesus Christ. That's the story of the Bible. And when you think about the message because when you think about the story of the Bible, there's a message response and they offer. The message is Jesus died and rose again. The response is to believe and the offer is eternal life. But think about the message for a second. The message is that Jesus died on the cross to pay for sin and what? But rose again on the third day. Listen, this gospel message is not the death of Christ. It's the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So don't forget that because most people, they say our message is Jesus died for the world. No, Jesus died and rose again. If he didn't rise again, we have nothing. So that's always that idea, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What we're going to find, that if you said, okay, beginning in Acts chapter 2 is the beginning of the church, and you can go all the way through the book of Acts, which takes about 30 years, it's a 30-year time period, and you can see every time somebody stood up to proclaim the message of Christ, every time the central message, he died and rose again. And if you believe in him, you have eternal life. It's always the death and the resurrection of Christ. So I said the basic truth in every message centers around the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we're going to see that. And so let's think about it. Peter has sinned. He denied Christ. He's been restored to fellowship. Jesus walked on the earth for 40 days, ascended into heaven. Ten days have passed, and the Holy Spirit came down and filled all of the 120 believers that were in the upper room together. And, and, and uh, uh, all of a sudden, they've got the Holy Spirit, the church is formed, and they begin to talk in different languages. And that is the gift of tongues, is the ability to speak a language you don't know. That's what the gift of tongues is. It's not some secret language. It's not, a, it's not a, an, a, an angelic language. It's a, lang, it's a la, known language in the world that people could speak. And so they stood up and they started speaking. And all these Jews who had come for the Feast of Pentecost, who came from all over the world, all spoke different languages. And suddenly they could hear this message, the wonderful works of God in their own language. And that's what happened on the day of Pentecost. And Peter's going to stand up and talk. And so what we 
did is we said, and we looked at this last week, we said that there's the promise of the power coming, that's the Holy Spirit, the coming of the Holy Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit coming to start in the church, and the message in the power, and this is what we're going to focus on this morning. So let me remind you of the promise of the power. Jesus promised the Holy Spirit would come after he left. He told them way back in John 14, John 16, you know, I, I'm going away, but I'm going to spend the sin. Uh, send the comforter. He's going to come. He's going to take care of us. That's what he's going to do. And the Holy Spirit's going to come. And that's the promise that after he left. Then we saw last week of the coming of the power. It was a very special day. The Feast of Pentecost, 50 days after Jesus rose from the grave. Jesus died on Passover. He rose from the grave on first fruits, which was on a Sunday morning, basically, or a Sunday. And then 50 days from then was a feast called Pentecost in which they they brought some things in from the field and they were saying, this is wonderful. Well, on that day, the church was formed, and the Holy Spirit came. And so we saw the coming of the power, and it's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Please get that, because people teach and hear. You'll hear all over the place that baptism of the Holy Spirit is people speaking in tongues. No, baptism of the Holy Spirit is when the Holy Spirit places a believer in Christ. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. That's what it is. And so God placed them in Christ, in, the, in the, the body of Christ, and they're speaking all these different languages. And look at verse 11. Uh, verse 11 says, of, of chapter 2 of, of Acts 2. Christians, we hear them in our own tongue speaking of the mighty deeds of God. In the Greek it says the wonderful works of God. So they're talking, they, they heard this message. And of course... As always, there are always people who are skeptical, always people who say, well, what? and we saw that in verse 13, some people said, they're just full of sweet wine, meaning they're just drunk. These people are drunk, and that's what we're hearing out there. And of course, you know, think about that. It doesn't make sense. How do drunk people speak in languages they don't know? You know, I mean, how does this happen? I mean, this is what you, you're, you're, you're seeing this. So they, they, they kind of made fun of them. And Peter, Peter, the man who had failed, the man who had been now restored, the man who was told by Jesus, feed my sheep, he's going to give the message. He's going to stand up. You know, Peter always was the leader anyway. He always was. He'd say things good. He'd say things bad. And he's messed up, and now he's back in fellowship. And, of course, he's going to stand forward, and he's going to give the message. And we're going to see that message. And let me just tell you something. It's not very easy to look through this. What we're going to look at this morning, is going to, you're going to have to concentrate to see the message. And so we're going to see the message in His power, or in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me give you this, and this shows you how fast we're going to have to go. This is the message we're going to look at, beginning at verse 14, going through verse 38. Okay? That's a lot for a grow group. And I, I just want you to get the highlights. What did Peter tell them on the day of Pentecost? And the very last thing that we're going to look at... It's controversial, and we'll see it next week. We'll see exactly what, what it's all about. So let's start with the introduction. Look at verse 14. Peter stood up, taking a stand with the 11. 11? That means there's 12. I thought one died. I thought Judas died. What, how do you have 12? Because as they were meeting, they decided they needed to pick another disciple, apostle to carry on, and they picked a guy named Matthias. And they threw lots down, and he got picked. So there's now 12 apostles. Judas is dead. And then we're going to see that Paul comes along, and he's an apostle. And there's a guy named Cornelius, and guess what he's called? 
an apostle. Did you know there's more than 12 apostles? There may be 14, 15, 16 when you start looking in the scripture where somebody is called an apostle. So he stood up with the 11, raised his voice and said to them, men of Judea and all those who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to my words for these men are not drunk. Somebody said, they're drunk. They're not drunk, as you suppose, because it's only the third hour of the day. You know what that means? It's 9 o'clock in the morning. We hadn't even had time to get drunk. You know, I mean, that's basically what they're saying. Peter says, we're not drunk. We hadn't even had time to get drunk. And so then he's going to say that what you are seeing, what you are hearing, is a prophecy of the prophet Joel from the book of Joel. By the, by the way, did they have the book of Joel? Did they have the prophecy of Joel? Yes. They had what we'd call, what they would call the Tanakh, the Torah, the Nebim, the Ketubim, which is the Old Testament, the Law, the Writings, and the Prophets. And they had the book of Joel. They had it. He's going to quote from Joel. Look what he does. He's going to say, this is a prophecy of Joel. Look at beginning at verse 16. But this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And he's going to go back to the book of Joel, and he's going to give this prophecy. And look what he says. It shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy, and your young men shall be visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And even on my bondservants, men and women, I will pour out forth my spirit, and they will prophesy. What is happening on the day of Pentecost? Is the Holy Spirit poured out? Are they all speaking different things, prophesying, giving messages? Are they? Okay. Now, let me just tell you something. That's a prophecy of Joel, but that's not the complete prophecy of Joel. I want you to understand that it is not the complete fulfillment of Joel because the complete fulfillment of Joel happens at the second coming of Christ. And in many prophecies in the Old Testament, there's what they call a near and a far fulfillment. The near fulfillment is right here where on the day of Pentecost, Spirit is poured out on all mankind. They have visions, dream, and, you know, and, they, and they do this. Now watch, that the near is the day of Pentecost, but the far is the second coming. He continues to quote, notice verse 19. I will grant wonders in the sky and signs on the earth. There'll be fire and blood and vapor. The sun will turn dark. The moon will turn to blood. There'll be the great and glorious day of the Lord, and everybody calls on the Lord and will be saved. Did that happen on the day of Pentecost? No, it did not. So when he quotes Joel, he's saying this is the prophecy of Joel, and part of that prophecy was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost, and part of that prophecy will be fulfilled at the second coming. When we study the book of Revelation, there's going to be parts where it actually says the moon turns to blood and the sun is darkened. That's going to happen in the book of Revelation. That's going to happen right before the second coming. So when he quotes Joel in this passage, He's saying, this is what Joel said, and the first part is what happened on the day of Pentecost. And the second part will be what happens when he comes as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Okay, you got it? Everybody see it? That's what's happening. So he's talking. And so next time you read Joel chapter 2, or when you read Acts chapter 2 and read these verses, you can say to yourself, this is not the complete fulfillment of Joel. It's the partial fulfillment. The near happened that day. And by the way, when do the last days begin? At the death of Jesus Christ. Listen to how he starts this. It shall be, the verse 17, it shall be in the last days, God said, I will pour out forth my spirit. When's the last days? Start to, so the first part happened after Jesus died and rose again. 
Okay, now from there, he's going to talk about the death and resurrection of Christ. Does that surprise you? <laughs> nope. This is the message, right? If you had an opportunity to talk to people and you knew they did not know Christ as Savior, what message would you tell them? That Jesus died on the cross to pay for sin and rose again, and whoever believes in him will never perish but have everlasting That's the message. So look what Peter's going to do. He's going to talk about the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so he starts in, in verse 22 and says, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus of Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs God performed through him. You know about him. You know who he was. You know everything about him. And then in verse 23, he says, This man was delivered over by the predetermined plan and the foreknowledge of God. You nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. So in verse 23, he says, God's predetermined plan and foreknowledge. And by the way, predetermined means God planned beforehand. What did God plan beforehand? That Jesus Christ would die on a cross. That's what the plan was. And what was the foreknowledge? That he knew everything that was going to happen beforehand because God knows all things. And so the people, let me say it this way. Did the people who put Jesus on the cross, are they accountable for their actions? Even though God planned it. Exactly. It, God is the sovereign ruler of all things, works all things according to his plan. But each person has the freedom to make decisions and is accountable for those decisions. What is so amazing that God is so amazing that you can make a decision that you're coming to church today and in God's sovereign plan, you are coming today. But you made the decision and you're accountable. Okay? God is sovereign, working all things according to the counsel of his will. So he says, you, who, who, who put Jesus to death? They did. Notice, let me read the verse again. This man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to it. Who's you? Who? Who's out there? Jews. He's talking to Jews. He said, you nailed him to the cross. He's not talking to Romans. He's talking to Jews. Jews have gathered from every country to come for the Feast of Pentecost. And Peter's standing up talking to them. And he says, you nailed him to the cross. And killed him, notice, and put him to death. Now, if we stopped right there, and if the whole message stopped right there, it'd be the saddest day in the world. But, verse 24, look how it starts. But God what? God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it's impossible for him to be held in his power. Death can't stop him. God raised Jesus from the dead. What did Peter just say? Jesus died and rose again. God raised him from the dead. It's impossible for him to stay dead. It's impossible for him to stay dead. And by the way, Romans 1 says that when he rose from the grave, it proved that he's the son of God. 1 Corinthians 15 says when he rose from the grave, it proved that death is conquered and sins are paid for. So when somebody says, all you need to tell them is that Jesus died for them. No, you tell them he died and rose again because if you don't have the resurrection, you don't have anything. If he didn't rise from the grave, Jesus could be on the cross claiming to be God, claiming to pay for sin, and dying physically. If he didn't rise from the grave, you got nothing. This proves he's the Son of God. This proves that he conquered death, and this proves that sins are paid for. That's what 1 Corinthians 15 teaches us. Wow. So, Jesus, the key. Jesus what? What's the message? He died and rose again. Now, you know Peter, I guess, I guess he knew his Bible. Because he's already quoted what? How many of y'all can quote Joel? 
How many of you can quote Psalm 16? Peter's going to quote Psalm 16. Now, let me tell you, he's got a little advantage. It's the power of the Holy Spirit speaking through him, right? And this is getting written down, so this is direct revelation from God. So Peter could say, I didn't remember I knew that. <laughs> but he probably did. And now he's going to quote another Old Testament passage, and he's going to quote Psalm 16. Now, why is he going to quote Psalm 16? Well, Joel says, in the end times, the Spirit's going to come down. That's exactly what happened on Pentecost. And Psalm 16 talks about what happens to the Messiah when he dies. You know, we always say that 1 Corinthians 15 says, For I deliver to you, first importance was also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. What Scriptures from the Old Testament said Jesus Christ died for our sins? Isaiah, okay. All right. And then it says, And he was buried, and he was raised again on the third day according to the Scripture. What Scripture in the Old Testament said the Messiah would rise from the grave? Guess what it is? Psalm 16. Peter knows his Bible. He's going to quote the passage from the Old Testament that talks about the Messiah rising from the dead. Look what he says. For David, he's talking about, he says, it's impossible for the Messiah to stay dead. Why? For David says of him, who wrote Psalm 16? King David. He said, I saw the Lord always in my presence. He said, my right hand will not be shaken. My heart is glad. My tongue is exalted. My flesh will always live in hope. Because you, God, will not abandon my soul to Hades. That's David saying, I won't stay dead. Nor will you allow your Holy One. Who's the Holy One? The Messiah, that's Jesus, to undergo decay. You have made known to me the way of life. Psalm 16 says the Messiah will never decay, that he'll be raised from the grave. And so Peter is going to quote Psalm 16. And look, Psalm 16 was written by David, and it's the foreshadow of the resurrection of the Messiah. Notice what he says. You will not abandon and leave his soul in Hades. He's saying to, David says, you won't let me stay dead. Let me ask you something. Is God going to allow you to stay dead? No, he's going to raise you from the grave. He's going to raise your body, right? He's going to raise your body from the grave. So you're, not, you're, with, you're with David in this one, right? But Jesus, and he says, but you will not allow your holy one. The holy one is the Messiah. The Messiah will not de see decay. He will not stay dead. The holy one will not stay dead but be raised. Now, that's a great promise. And he rose again on the third day according to the Scripture, Psalm 16, verse 10. That's this thing. And so Peter's quoting the Bible. You know, I, in our 2-2 class, I'll, I'll, take, I'll put that up there, and I'll put 1 Corinthians 15 according to Scripture, and I'll put Isaiah something, and then I'll say, you know, he rose from the grave according to Scripture, and I'll write Psalm 16:10, and I'll say, how do we know it's Psalm 16:10? Well, if we're not very smart, we can just go and watch what Peter said. And Peter quoted Psalm 16.10. And so we can say, it's, obviously, it's Psalm 16.10 because that's it. Now, how do we know that David was talking about the Messiah? Well, Peter's going to tell us. Look what he says. Brethren, I may cut. This is verse 29. I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and guess what? His tomb is still with us today. As David raised from the dead? No. <laughs> he said, he's, 
That's his tomb right there. You don't see David walking around, do you? No. And so he says, I want you to understand that David both died and was buried. His body is still in the tomb. But notice on. And so because he was a prophet, did you know that David was a prophet? Sure, he gave direct revelation. And he knew that God had sworn to him an oath that one of his descendants would sit on the throne. Who is the descendant that would sit on the throne? Jesus. Just Jesus, exactly. Watch. He looked ahead. David looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades nor his flesh suffer decay. Do you realize what he just said? That when David wrote Psalm 16, because he knew that God said, one of your sons will sit on the throne forever, that's the Messiah. He knew the Messiah was going to die, but he couldn't stay dead. And so he said, but he will not allow the Holy One to see corruption. Do you get it? Do you see what he's saying? It's unbelievable. David wrote a thousand years before Jesus that one day one of his descendants would die and be raised from the dead to sit on the throne. And so watch what he says. So Peter says, so this Jesus, God raised up to which we're all witnesses. It's Jesus. He's the one God raised up. David looked ahead to see the resurrection of Christ. And so this Jesus, God raised up. So Peter stands up, and let's just see it, that Peter stands on the day of Pentecost and says, excuse me, can I have your attention? We're not drunk. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. I want you to understand something, that you know about Jesus, how he went around, he did good, he did everything, he was amazing. You put him to death. This, what's happening here is what Joel said would happen in the end times, the Spirit would be poured out. You kill Jesus God raised him from the dead. King David wrote about this, and he said one day that God would not allow his soul to see corruption or the Messiah to see corruption. Now, how do we know it was David? And how do we know it's the Messiah? Because David's still dead over there. But Jesus is alive, which you are all, and notice what he says. This Jesus God raised up to which we are all what? Verse 32, we are all witnesses. We all know it. We saw it. Did Jesus appear to people when he walked on the earth? How many? After his, re his resurrection. 40 yeah. For 40 days. How many people? Well, we know on the day he rose, he appeared to the women. Who was the first person he appeared to? Mary. Mary, Mary Magdalene. Yeah. And then he appeared to two guys walking on the road to Emmaus. And then he appeared to Peter. And then he appeared to all of them except, uh, except Thomas. And then eight days later, he appeared to all of them. And then it says that he appeared to others. And then he appeared to 500 people at one time. And then Paul says, and finally, I saw him. That's what Paul writes. Were they witnesses? Exactly. They're witnesses. This Jesus, God raised up. And, and so bottom line, Jesus is the one who fulfills the prophecy concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. Now, that's pretty powerful, y'all. You've got to understand this. He says, Jesus is the Messiah. He fulfilled the promise that David wrote about. He died, and he rose again. Now, what's he going to do with it? Therefore, verse 33, Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you see and hear. What's happening today with the Spirit coming down is because Jesus is now at the right hand of the Father, and he's given the promise that he promised. What was the promise? What was it? The Holy Spirit. So you can say it. The promise is the Holy Spirit. It's here. 
He says, this is what God promised. Jesus is giving out the promise. And he says, it was not David who ascended into heaven. <laughs> it wasn't David. It was the Lord who said, sit at my right hand until I make you, your enemies a footstool. Therefore, let the house of Israel know. Know this, that for certain, God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Look what he says. This is the anointed one. This is the Messiah. He is the Lord and the Savior you crucified. So Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost, who just a few days earlier was afraid to say a word. He stands up and says, you killed the Messiah. You did it. God brought him here. He died. He rose again. King David prophesied about that. This is what Joel talked about. The Holy Spirit's been poured out. We are all witnesses of who Jesus is. And he says, therefore, let you know that Jesus is the Lord and the Christ. He's the Messiah. He just told all these Jews that you killed the Messiah. What would you do if you were Jewish people listening? And you thought, oh my gosh, Jesus is the Savior. He's the Messiah. Look what it says. Verse 37. When, now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, brethren, oh, brethren, what shall we do? What's the response? Wow. This is where we get, this is the hard passage, and we'll see this next week. This is the hard passage. Look what he says. They were cut to the heart. What does that mean? Pierced to the heart. Could it mean that they were just upset? Oh, no. Could it mean they said, Jesus is my Savior. I crucified the Savior of the world. Could it believe, mean that they believed? Could it mean, listen, let, what does is, what is Peter answer to? This is where it gets hard, and this is where we'll see it next week. What does he tell them to do? What would you think he would tell them to do? Don't look at the verse. Uh, to, you'd say, believe in Jesus then. He didn't tell them to do that. What's, look what he tells them to do. Verse 38, repent and let each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What? what? Wait, 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 wait. What do you mean, repent and be baptized? How does that fit? He didn't say, believe in Christ, and you'll be saved. You know why? They may already be saved because they were cut to the heart. They believed the message. We'll talk about it because he doesn't tell them to believe in Christ. He says, change your mind, get identified with Christ, and you'll get the Holy Spirit. Hmm. Is that a hard passage? Yeah, we'll see it. We'll see it next time. We'll see how it fits together. This will give you a little time to look at it and to figure out how I'm going to be wrong and all that. So we'll do that. So what do we know? May we know the good news gospel. The good news the gospel. May we know it. What's the message? He died and rose again. It's in everything. Everything, every time, go, go to every, go all the way through the book of Acts. Every time there's a message, he says, death and resurrection, death and resurrection. Know the response? What is it? To believe. What's the offer? Eternal life. Okay, we got it. I hope, I hope we got it. We're, we sound a little sluggish there, but. 
<laughs> okay. And second, let's understand the Old Testament promise. What was the promise? Psalm 16, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is the one talked about in Psalm 16 because the Messiah was not going to stay dead. David is still dead, says Peter. Jesus is not. The passage is talking about Jesus. Wow. So sometime read Psalm 16 and you'll see the flow. And then last but not least, let's realize that Jesus Christ is indeed the Lord and Christ, the Lord and Messiah, and forgiveness of sin comes by faith in Jesus Christ. And we're going to talk about forgiveness and payment and everything else next week. We'll see how that fits together. And, and let me give you a little hint. There's two ways to take the passage. One is they're not saved and he's telling them something, but he uses the word repent and he uses the word baptize and, he, and he's using them in two different ways. And I'll show you that. Or the other view is they're already believers and he's telling them, now change your mind, get, get into fellowship and you'll get the Holy Spirit. Because see, in the first part of the church, people didn't get the Holy Spirit every time they believed. And Samaritans didn't get the Holy Spirit until later on. 